Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we have the pleasure of having Dr. Jay Wrigley back on our show many months back. If you'll remember, we had some technical difficulties and he only got through about a half of, of, of his presentation. So we're going to be talking about um, his hormone optimization diet. As we've talked about many times before, um, Jan and I specialize in hormones as pharmacists, um, but it's also just a piece of the puzzle. If we don't have the right diet to optimize the results of our hormone balancing, then we're not going to get the best results. So Dr. Wrigley, welcome to our show. Good to see you, Janet, and uh, let's, yeah, I'm ready to get into whatever you want to get with. yeah there there we are so tell us a little bit about your background and functional medicine and and uh what you do and then we'll uh get into the meat and potatoes of the hormone optimization diet yeah so you know my history is um as a functional medicine doctor i practiced clinically for about 27 years and then um at that point i decided that uh i was kind of kind of burnt out on the clinical side of this and wanted to look for a way to open up you know my my level of influence because of uh we'll get into my specialty here in a second but it just made sense to see if um you know i could, I could build this out and do this remotely to work with people all over the world <clears throat> rather than just charlotte north carolina which is where i was uh, born raised and uh, spent most of my time practicing healthcare. Um, and that that worked out really well, took off well. And now I'm able to do my work all over the world. And, um, you know, I'm kind of an expat now. I live in the Dominican Republic at the time being on the beach, and it's great. And uh, all this came out of the fact that um, over over probably the last 10 to 12 years of my practice, I began to develop um, a, a unique specialty in the combination of Hormonal chemistry, especially around females, only because it's not like it's all that different between females and males. It's just that if you look at the demographics of who actually goes to doctors and seeks out, you know, information to do something about their health, it's far weighted in females, right? So, um, you know, that that has that had been a, a specialty of mine for, you know, more than twenty years. But then when I began to pair that with uh, this emerging science of metabolic health, um, because of my own letting my own health get out out of whack and gained a ton of weight while I was practicing medicine and teaching others how to you know eat a healthy uh, bullshit diet. And she's my language, but yeah. you know the you know the typical uh, standard of you know recommendations of lower your fat and eat a bunch of whole grains and all this kind of stuff, which I thought that I was doing fairly well and ballooned up. Um, and whatever, but I, you know, I took my, I took my understanding of my own, of, of, of hormonal chemistry and applied it to, um, what happens when you eat food, there's a hormonal response to that. And that has everything to do with how your body's going to partition these nutrients, whether it's going to store them as fat, whether it's going to burn them as energy, whether, you know, they're going to be utilized in a healthy way or not. And I, you know, I began to build out something that really worked for me and I was able to lose almost a hundred pounds. And, um, you know, then I married the two together. And so what I've done for probably the last 10 or 12 years is to work mainly with this demographic of, um, both men and women, but, you know, large percentage of women who are going through 
certain hormonal changes. It could be, you know, just perimenopause, moving towards menopause or into menopause or because of these things, developing thyroid issues or adrenal burnout issues or lots of different things that have to do with both hormonal balance and metabolic health. And, um, you know, that, that's where I've been. And that's what that's what's been extremely exciting is because I see that the way to get the best results for, you know, most of us that are, you know, past the age of, you know, 40 to mid 40s is the game changes, the hormonal landscape changes in our body and it sets us up for something that is not really talked about that much on social media. You, you know, you guys see it all the time. Everybody believes that, um, oh, just eat a low carb, high fat diet, go, you know, do the keto thing. And um, which can be extremely effective. And it's probably the greatest diet ever to lose a bunch of weight if you're a 30 year old man. But when you've got declining levels of certain hormones in your body, which I'm sure we will discuss, the idea of, you know, cramming a bunch of fat into your diet uh, when you don't have the hormonal metabolism in order to deal with that, what we would call energy toxicity, you're going to run into a problem. So you have to do one of two things. You have to dial back and like, you know, reformulate the macros of the diet or you got to get hormonally balanced. And I'm sure we're going to get into that, too. But so that, you know, that's kind of in a nutshell where where I landed and what right. I do on a daily basis is kind of coach people through these types of things. So, Janet, as a woman, what questions do you have for Dr. Wrigley? OK, so I for myself, I think there's a big difference between perimenopause and menopause. What is your opinion on that with with hormonal changes in diet and, and maintaining weight? Yeah. Um, well, that, you know, the biggest difference that I see in the in the in, in the difference between peri and postmenopause is that in perimenopause, you are. The, the, the main complication and, and with not only weight, but so many other things is the separation of this re, the ratio between estrogen and progesterone. So what usually happens is a woman in her can start as early as late 30s, but usually we will see this in the you know, in 43, 44, up to 46 or whatever, where there becomes a significant drop in her ovarian output of progesterone but her estrogen levels are still staying relatively the same as they've been for a while. And that ratio expanding further and further between these two hormones, when they need, they kind of antagonize and support each other or whatnot. But what they don't want to be is to have a big gap between the ratio between the two. Because if you do that, you're going to get yourself in a situation where um, in perimenopause, you know, most women that I'm seeing are experiencing this, uh, you know, what we call estrogen dominance, where you've got more estrogen than you have progesterone to antagonize that estrogen. And that excess estrogen um, or progesterone deficiency, I mean, you can, there's so many different ways this can play itself out. But that, that ratio gap is what it is that's leading to these issues where, if, you know, when a woman starts to see that her periods start getting closer and closer together, she's having heavier menstrual cycles. She's having much more of a problem with mood swings. She's not sleeping well. Um, she's gaining, you know, weight rapidly and all this kind of stuff without changing her diet or whatnot. This is a lot of that 
that ratio changed in favor of there's a lot of estrogen around, but not enough progesterone. Then when you add to that, that certainly in the last three or four years, we say, you know, attack on COVID and all the other things that women are going through and you've got a bunch of stress in your life, then your body's robbing that little bit of progesterone that you have in order to shunt it towards the cortisol pathway. And so you're getting elevated of cortisol and that's going to shut down fat loss completely. That's going to be, you know, put the brakes on this kind of thing. So now you're using up a little bit of progesterone that you do have. Now you're in even a bigger gap of this estrogen dominance. Um, but we can go further with that or we can like, you know, reformulate the question. Well, let's talk about <clears throat> specifically um, the, your hormone optimization diet. You, you, you kind of mentioned that keto is not the best for a perimenopause, menopausal woman. Um, so what would you suggest? Well, my take on this and, um, is that the ultimate way of eating for midlife and beyond, including peri and postmenopause, and even for men who you know, reach middle age, is that you want to uh, prioritize protein in the diet. Protein, proteins, protein seems to be pretty much the key for a number of factors. One is the satiation of the diet because you're, you know, many people can't eat too much protein. They're going to eat protein until the fact that I don't feel like eating any more protein at all. And so to prioritize protein as the number one macronutrient in your diet, then you build the rest of the diet around that, right? So, so my thing with the hormone optimization diet really is the thing that I put out a lot with a, you know, a hashtag that is, you know, LCHPMF. So that's the low carb, high protein, moderate fat version okay. of a low carbohydrate diet. And why I see that to be so beneficial for this demographic that we're talking about is that when you begin to, again, when you begin to lose the metabolic effect that comes along with estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, and a few other things, then the idea of putting a bunch of fat in your diet when you're already setting, you're being set up for being a better store than a releaser right. for sure. So to take in more energy than you need and then expect your body to be able to figure out what to do with this doesn't make any sense at all. So th this is yeah. where the low carb, high fat protocol, which is great if you've got neurological issues or you're a younger person can work out really well. But later on, you don't need a bunch of fat added to your diet. But at the same time, I need to make it clear because some people get mistaken by this and I have to answer this all the time is um, I get you know tagged a lot of times of, oh, you're going back to the, you know, eat a low fat diet. Not in any way. Not in any way am I talking about a low fat diet. I'm just talking about uh, eating primarily the fat that comes with the protein that you choose. So if you eat a ribeye, we all know that a ribeye's right. got a nice amount of fat on it, and it's got that, that's what gives it great flavor. That's enough fat, right? You don't right. need to cook the ribeye in you know a stick of butter for some kind of purpose of your driving ketones or something like that. Not not if a, you know not for a forty eight to sixty year old woman. That's not doing you any good at all because you'll never burn through that fat right. that you took in dietarily before your next meal. So. That, you know, the hormone optimization diet really is to just look at 
um, how we dial back a little bit on the huge amount of fat that would be in the typical ketogenic diet. And we prioritize protein a little bit more because if you remember, and I know both of you do, that the original therapeutic ketogenic diet was low carb, moderate to low protein and high fat, where we're finding that, that you know, that was not enough protein to really drive right. what it is you want for your metabolism or muscle structure for brain health and all this kind of stuff. So the premises of the hormone optimization diet is really to really stick it back into balance. And the thing about it is, is that this isn't you know, some kind of new concept I made up. This is this is what it would have been like to before the agricultural revolution if you ate the same diet that people are talking about on twitter and social media right now of being herb um well it, this is kind of what that would have looked like because the hunting of wild game back twenty thousand years ago these were not fatted animals i mean these were not domesticated you know pastured yeah, you were chasing down something that probably had extremely low body fat. You were looking <laughs> right. for elk or deer or something that did not come with marbled meat and all this kind of stuff, right? So it's really just a diet that, again, is another way to say some of the stuff that's been you know, written before in the Neolithic diet or the paleo diet or whatnot. If, you know, we're eating, we have a tendency to like, you know, cram a bunch of fat that doesn't need to be in the diet at a certain age that just doesn't need to be there. And if you really want to get leaner as a menopausal woman, either anyway, and perimenopause, I, you know, what I see that is, you know, the bullseye is to increase the protein, modify the fat a little bit, and then still keep your carbs pretty low. Well, and from what I get, what you're saying is basically just eat real food and, real food. and, yeah. Right. And and you will get enough fat. You will, you know, if you prioritize the protein, so basically eat meat, um, you're going to get enough fat and, um, you know, and you'll get satiated that way. And the keto diet, I agree with you, uh, you know, 100% about, you know, if you have certain certain diseases and you need to be truly keto and add fat, that's great. But just to add, you know, a stick of butter to your coffee because it's good for you, I, I, I'm, I'm not buying that. Not buying it at all. Um, no. Not um, buying and, it at all. Not unless you've got like grandma seizures or something like right. that. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right. And 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 there again, it is extra fat and, and fat is concentrated in calories. So it, it is calories that are gonna store probably as fat if you're not burning them. Well, one sure. thing too that, that seems to happen in this process and, and I guess being a, a female, I, I notice this with our clients is that you start also losing your lean muscle mass if you're not doing that. And that is crucial. If, if you're lo losing that lean muscle mass, then, you know, that, that's not a very healthy thing. And the only way you're going to maintain that is if you're putting that protein back in. So that seems to be a conversation I have with women. And, and I totally agree with you that, you know, that priority of putting protein first and a good protein first, whatever that might be in their diet, is crucial. Um, to caveat with that, though, um, what is your what is your feeling about testosterone in women post and and peri? Well, I've got two. I mean, I think I know where you're going with that. First of all, I think testosterone and supporting testosterone is is a great idea for every woman. Now, where I, you know, where I 
veer off the pathway here is I'm not a big fan at all of testosterone uh, therapy for most women. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a you know, point in case for that. Um, it comes up for sure. But to just, you know, to just add that to the mix, like so many um, GYNs will do or other practitioners that are doing you know, some kind of functional medicine and go, look, we're going to put you on bio hormone replacement therapy. Let's just definitely add testosterone to it. I, th I think you're, there's a bit of a, um, maybe, maybe we don't know enough yet that it should not be just the standard practice of medicine. Like we, you know, we love to do it, put things in a box of like, you know, you've got this type of um, staph infection, so you need amoxicillin or whatnot, that every woman who goes on bio HRT or whatnot needs to Excluded in that. However, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a touchy subject. You can tell I'm fumbling through that because I'm like, it's such an important thing because of that women live so much longer than they used to, you know, than we all do. But women certainly outpace men with their longevity. And so having perfect hormonal balance, which might include that they need some extra testosterone from a good source that, you know, comes from an exogenous source is, you know, makes a whole lot of sense. On the other hand, you know, we do, you know, we have plenty of research and papers that say, you know, that's yeah, gotta be delicately thought through because you put a woman on, she gets herself on too much testosterone or too early or whatnot. You get some problems maybe with, um, you know, bone demineralization, you get the possibility if she creates too much androgen hormone and then she, you know, all of a sudden at 50 years old, you know, she's got acne and, you know, polycystic ovaries or something like that. So um, I don't know that I have that one answered. I'm, you know, th this is one that'd be fun to kick back to you guys since you work in the compounding of formulation is, let me say that back. And what are you, what are you finding about adding to testosterone to bio HRT for women? <clears throat> well, I will say that, <clears throat> excuse me. I think testosterone is probably one of the most important hormones for women. Uh, progesterone probably first, especially early yeah. on in perimenopause. But <clears throat> when you think about some of the diseases that women have, you mentioned demineralization of bone. Now, I've never heard of testosterone demineralizing bone. In fact, testosterone, I have an ongoing challenge for um, for anybody, doctor, scientist, healthcare professional, anybody to find a better drug for osteoporosis than testosterone. There's not a better drug to build bones than testosterone um, for women and for men. And think about men. <clears throat> men get osteoporosis also. It's not from lack of estrogen. It's not from lack of progesterone. It's from lack of testosterone. So also to help maintain lean body mass, um, helps for depression, helps to uh, burn fat, helps to decrease insulin resistance, helps to burn visceral fat, helps um, libido, so I think testosterone is a big game changer. Uh, to your point, though, it, it does have to be dosed right correctly. Yeah. You, you don't I want agree. women to get oily skin and acne. Yeah. But I think, the benefits I, are incredible. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here because I think I think where um, I get uncomfortable with is the injection. I don't like injections right. for women. 
And I don't like the pellets either because yeah. I feel like they get overdosed. And that's when we start getting into some issues. I think if you're using something that a low dose that's conservative for women that need it, absolutely. Um, because one of the issues that I see, and, and this is this is kind of from, you know, dealing with a lot of women is that a lot of times if they can maintain lean muscle mass and they don't have to have huge doses, if we're talking, you know, one or two milligrams or even less, depending on where they are with it, um, it does help maintain that. And also, um, like Sean said, you know, that delicate part of rebuilding bone and muscle, I think, is, is super important or maintaining it is super important. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't I, I, I stay away from that. You know, I, I don't like the pellet thing. And, and me personally, I mean, I know there's some people that do, but I just think it's too much at one time. And then they have this excess and then this <clears throat> less and it's excess and then it goes down. And so I don't like that yo-yo of any of that because I don't that's think that's it. healthy as well. Well, yeah. Well, one of the problems with pellets, too, is they don't address any of the local symptoms, which could be vaginal symptoms. Well, that's true, too. Whereas yeah. if you apply testosterone vaginally, there's not a better drug for vaginal atrophy um, and vaginal dryness than testosterone. Um, and pellets don't address that. So many women will right. still need something for their vaginal dryness if they're on pellets. So um, I'm a big believer in you know using vaginal testosterone because not only it works systemically, but also locally. I, yeah, so we're on the same page. Um, I think that, you know, the only difference is just comes in the fact that I look at it because I, I'm, I don't know this and I don't want to take this for granted, but I, I like driving pathways when I'm working with a client or a pet and making things do what they're supposed to do. So yeah. My thought about what, what we're talking about is I'm on I'm on point, Sean, exactly with what both of you are talking about and, and your explanation of testosterone. However, I also know this. I know that progesterone is the precursor and the builder for most of all of this that we're looking for. And the thing where most practitioners miss is that they don't understand that you can't just put a woman on progesterone and just hope that, okay, that takes care of the deficiency ways and your body converts that exactly where it needs to go. Now, there's a way to make sure or push that progesterone into the testosterone pathway. Um, and there's a way to, you know, antagonize that excess estrogen so that we can get thyroid hormone to convert properly and get into the mitochondria. And that takes a little bit of, um, you know, under, you know, the understanding of the biochemistry of how you use things like nutritional supplementation to drive progesterone in its right way, we might need to calm the adrenals down and stop right. producing cortisol so the progesterone can move closer to, to towards the testosterone pathway. Very true. But I mean, we're all, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. And, um, but you know, what's exciting about this is that this, this is the new frontier of healthcare. This is, and it's, I hope that everybody in the world, you know, pays attention to what, you know, something like this conversation because they're out there stuck in, stuck in this disease management system, yeah. mm -hmm. which is just, we have a cookbook approach to, if you've got this set of symptoms that we can give a name to and make a diagnosis, yeah. then yeah. there is a standard of practice protocol. And if you, 
step outside of that standard practice of protocol, then, oh, no, red flag, you could be pulled out from under your umbrella by the hospital administration that oversees your clinical practice. I mean, it is, you know yep. what, you know what I'm talking yep. about, right? <laughs> yeah, Just talking absolutely. about it this weekend. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So th this is what's exciting about this is to get people to realize, you know, my big thing is to try to teach people about, you got to become self-reliant in your mm -hmm. healthcare. And because if you're going to, you know, if you're going to, you're, you're going to listen big pharma and big food and big everything else mm -hmm. and hope that they're there when you've got a real problem and they're going to fix that for you. That's not really going to happen. Right. But no. yeah, good. Go, go, well, you know, our goal is, you know, just like you were saying to your point is, you know, to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. Sure. Right. And as doctors, as pharmacists, as healthcare professionals, that is our job is to educate them. They have to ultimately do it themselves. If 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 patients are looking for a doctor or a pharmacist um, to, 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 you know, completely change their life, it's just not going to work. I mean, yeah. you can listen to them, but 24 hours a day, you've got to take care of your own body ultimately. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to do the foundational stuff, right? And then you utilize, you know, or, you know, people like you two and, you know, those of us who've got a little bit of a specialty and how we can, like, you know, make this even better for you by understanding and teaching you. But, you know, we fight that uphill battle, too, which is still garbage that we still have to deal with the fact that I get I got three, I think, three messages today. And this happens every day for all of my life. Of, well, and these are from clients half the time. One of them today I'll speak about. So worked with a client from Australia probably three weeks ago. She got started on her protocol. I took her off of the what I believe to be garbage hormone replacement therapy that she was on and put her on um, what I believe to be in a really pure bioidentical estrogen progesterone. And we did a little bit of testosterone push through just some supplementation. You know, I get I get a message back about, you know, I feel better than I've ever felt in three weeks, but I'll but I am really concerned about you know, am I setting myself for, up for cancer? Yep. And I'm going, man, you know, I don't mind explaining that to you because I have to do that every day like you do. But it's a shame that there's not enough information out there that is, you know, providing this for people that this is actually much more cancer preventative then it is a risk factor for cancer. Now, there, there, there are those certain cases where you're not going to throw something like estradiol at a woman. Uh, but by and large, done, done correctly, and you know this, you're actually, you're doing more to probably prevent this person from getting either cancer or a reoccurrence of cancer than you are doing anything that is going to lead to harm, right? Well, but absolutely. The, and, and it's the education's it, not. Yeah, it it's ignorance. I mean, it's pure ignorance in, in the medical establishment and partly because <clears throat> a lot of the studies that have been out there. And of course, you know, this Dr. Wrigley, you know, they're with Premarin um, and or medroxyprogesterone acetate. And those are so different than right. estradiol and um, progesterone. And I think the biggest culprit is medroxyprogesterone acetate. That drug is horrible. Um, yes. You know, and, and really the important thing is progesterone. And, and right. you know, we're taught in medical school or in pharmacy school that, oh, well, if you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone. I mean, 
That's the ignorance out there. I mean, think Absolutely. about that. That is the dumbest thing dumbest I've thing. ever heard. I mean, so you're telling me that progesterone is a magic hormone and it only works in the uterus? Seriously? I mean, what, what hormone works only in one tissue in the body? Oh, and it's so, I mean, we could just talk about that forever because here's the thing. Most of the reasons for the hysterectomy in the first place were because of a predominance of something like estrogen dominance, right? So <laughs> yes. what we'll do is we'll take your uterus out, then we'll put you back on estrogen without any progesterone to antagonize that estrogen, which just furthers the whole complication in the first place. But the woman goes, well, I don't really know that because I don't have a uterus, so the symptoms went away. Meanwhile, you're pushing the whole thing that set you up for the hysterectomy in the wrong direction. You yeah. know, it's just unbelievable. We watch, yeah, we see this every day, right? Well, I mean, think about what we do in medicine, in traditional medicine. If they're less than 40 and they're having, you know, uterine fibroids, um, irregular periods, anything that, you know, around their cycles, well, you need birth control pills, right? Yeah. And, and if you're more than 40 and you're having those symptoms, you need a hysterectomy. I mean, that's exactly what we do when in reality, like you say, it's like progesterone, progesterone, progesterone. That's, yeah, that's and, all and, I needed. And, and, and enough people don't even understand that when their doctor says that they put them on progesterone or a birth control pill that is progesterone based or whatnot, they're not talking about progesterone. They're talking about a progestin. And the, exactly. and the lay public doesn't know that these are not nope. the same animal at all. Well, actually, Dr. Wrigley, Many gynecologists don't know it. Many Absolutely. pharmacists don't know it. I mean, they, they put them in the same category. Even in my really? pharmacology book, they put progestin and progesterone in the same category. And here's how different they are. Progesterone, progestation. Gestation, it's, right. it's to help support a pregnancy. And progestins are birth control pills. That's how different they are. Right. Yahada, let's go ahead and stream our comment. Looks like we have a comment up there. <clears throat> Uh, Laura Turner, thank you for listening and watching. She's a loyal listener. What is frustrating is here is the agreement among providers on how a woman should be treated. I've talked to three different practitioners and they all said some, say something different, things about progesterone, testosterone. So frustrating. I agree with you 100%, um, Laura. You have to find somebody that works for you. Um, and there are a lot of different mindsets out there and i will tell you as a compound pharmacist that treats mostly hormones we have providers over on the left hand side and providers over on the right hand side um and sometimes you have to come come somewhere in the middle ultimately every patient is different and we want you, you to feel better so i've been trying for over a year to find a treatment that works and keep getting different recommendations from from different doctors absolutely dr wrigley what is your comment on that well, I mean, I mean, I feel for Laura. I mean, I mean, it, you know, this comes up every single day of my life. And I think that um, so many challenges there. One is that you've got this, again, the standard practice of care where that you need to fit into what's the usual prescription for a woman for her health problems or whatnot. And if your doctor is not like thinking, you know, willing to think outside the box of what it is that you need to be doing, then, you know, there's a, yeah, there's an issue there. Another thing is, is this, is that doctors do not 
provide any type of getting to know them and you. And this is one of the things that I love about doing remote work now is that, you know, I can have somebody from anywhere in the world jump on and do a free discovery call with me. And that sole purpose of that is let's see if me and you fit by I want to hear your case and what you're dealing with. And then I want to tell you my approach to that and then give you a real clear answer of whether or not I think that I would be your best fit or whether or not not really you know that falls outside of kind of my wheelhouse and my you know whatever and i think that we ought to be looking for somebody else to do this but you don't get that you know when you just make an appointment with a doctor you don't get a, you know a whole lot of like what do they actually do what are they thinking what do they know about hormones and it is frustrating it's very very frustrating and this is why too, you know so many people are doing their own due diligence on google or whatnot which eh, that's that can be a problem too but um, I feel for Laura, but, you know, all I, you know, my answer is that keep looking at what, you know, what feels best for you. How do you want, yeah. how do you want, if you feel like you have a hormonal issue, do you feel like your doctor is sitting with you and really understanding your hormones? What kind of testing are they doing? Because if they're just running a blood test on your progesterone level, I can tell you how useless that is this is just progesterone traveling from one place to another bound by a protein already and it doesn't have any reflection of tissue levels or storage levels or free whatever and if they're not looking at sex hormone binding globulin or whatever you know whatever yeah and then you know, absolutely so anyway you know for laura it, it's just that i we feel your frustration you know, keep checking out people and find doctors who will actually sit, sit down and talk to you about your case before you make some kind of commitment to actually working with them is probably the best. Thing. That That's a really good point. And that not every doctor works with every patient. And that's why yeah. you have to do you have to find out who um, works for you. Um, yeah, because they do. We work for them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. I tell people all the time, fire your day. They're like, what should I do about my doc? Fire your doctor. Yeah. They're, you're, I mean, you employ him or her, right? It's not the other way around. It's like, but yeah. So but yeah, I wanted stuff. to, yeah, I wanted to get back into the diet and hormones and just give a quick analogy and, and what your thoughts are about this. Um, we talk often about, you know, I mean, many times, and you'll see this in your practice, I'm sure, Dr. Wrigley is that people get frustrated with their weight and, and they want to blame it on their hormones, which hormones can be a, a, um, a big contributor for sure. Um, but I always tell patients that hormones are a piece of the puzzle. You still have to get the other things right. Sleep, exercise, diet. Um, and here's a great analogy. Is like hormones are, they're just contractors. They're like contractors on building a house. Um, but your diet is like the wood of the house or the steel, whatever kind of structure you're building. So if you don't have the good pieces of the structure, i.e. the good diet, the contractor, the hormones can't do what's optimal to build an optimal structure. What are your comments on that? Well, I think that that's, um, I mean, first of all, there's nothing to say other than truth about that. I might, I might go a little bit further with that and say what's interesting about hormones um, when it's related to diet is that a lot of people don't understand that everything that you put in your mouth has a hormonal response to it. 
And this is one of the biggest problems that we deal with is that if, you know, people, you know, this is why calories in, calories out don't work, doesn't work, is because it, it's not about, if you eat a tablespoon of sugar, what's happening in the body is it's not really about that, sh oh, sugar's not great for you or sugar's got a bunch of calories. It's about you just elicited a hormonal response that sets off an inflammatory cascade that it's going to, it's going to take days for your body to get back on track from this, right? So hormones do play a role in why it is that you've got to eat that proper diet, Sean, like that you're talking about. You got to lay that foundation in the diet. But one of the reasons why you want to eat that diet is because it keeps your hormones, you know, like you said, knowing what to do and functioning correctly rather than sending insulin through the roof. And then you've got, you know, problems with cortisol elevating and then you've got you know, all of this problem going on. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's the foundation that you've got to lay with your lifestyle, but you're doing that in part because of what that does for you hormonally, which is a beautiful thing because there's right. nothing better than to have good hormonal balance. It's why it is that we see so many people who can get away with so much is they've got strong genetic hormonal balance now eventually that usually it'll catch up but, well what i like so what i like about what you just said is you, you put insulin in there and of course we've kind of been hitting on that without saying it um for the entire podcast but you know when we say hormones hormones is such a general term i yeah. mean a broad there's so many of them right and, and that's why, you know, we have to really break it down. And, you know, like, for instance, when, you know, when a doctor just ignorantly says, well, you've got a history of breast cancer, you can't be on hormones. I mean, that is the most ignorant statement I've ever heard of. And oh, yeah. so what I'll tell patients, I'm like, well, you know, epinephrine or adrenaline's a hormone. Um, insulin's a hormone. Can you, can you not, you know, have any of those things? No, it's, it, we have to break down what hormones are. And the most important hormone when it comes to overall function that affects all of our hormones, I used to say this, Dr. Wrigley, the hierarchy of hormones was adrenal, thyroid, sex hormones. But you know what trumps them all? Insulin. If your insulin is not in balance, nothing else will get better or, or it won't be optimal. That's for sure. Correct? Yeah, I mean, co correct. I mean, that, that's a great conversation. I mean, we could have fun with that all day long. Because I would say, I, how could I argue that? But I also could say, wow, trying to pick one where, like, for instance, you know, cholesterol is is primarily a hormone. But if not, I mean, in the part in the ways that it's not, then we could shift to the next step and say pregnenolone of being right. the master hormone of like moving all. So, yeah, it's an interesting conversation. But I think if I had to be held a you know, gun to my head, I think I'd have to agree with you and say, if you if your insulin's out of control you um you're creating everything that's going to walk you down towards diabetes obesity heart disease uh mental issues parkinson's, parkinson's right. i mean it's just the list goes on yeah so Tanya Noble, another loyal viewer and listener can you talk about optimal dha levels for women and if supplementing 
what is the best time of day to take it? I will go first, Dr. Wrigley, and then I'll yeah. let you take over. Um, so optimal DHEA levels for for women, um, DHEA is, they call it an androgen. I don't like using that term because that makes us think that only, only men have it. But men do have more DHEA than women. So it is important to take a, a female dose of DHEA. Female dose of DHEA is anywhere from 5 to 25 milligram um, a day. DHEA is mostly made in the adrenal glands um, to help us respond to stress. As we age, DHEA levels go down. So optimal is, when you say optimal, optimal is different for everybody. So it depends on you know what your goals are. So um, get your level checked. Make sure it's on the high end of normal um, if you're not having acne or oily skin anyway. So that's why it's different for everybody. And the best time to take DHEA is in the morning because that's when our adrenals produce the most DHEA is in the morning to prepare us for the rest of the day in times of stress. So, Dr. Wrigley, what do you got to say about DHEA? I'm going to... You know, I'm going to pretty much say that um, you nailed that, Sean. Um, I would here's what I would add to that. I find that DHEA is a mixed bag for sure, with in the giving it to women. So, so what I mean by that is this: the women who respond favorably to DHEA will respond to it at a low dose, and so I will often start women on five milligrams twice a day. And in some cases, if I just, you know, I have a hunch that this is really needed, I might go to 10 twice a day for a total of 20. But here's what I find there. It's a, it's an interesting thing because of all of what we know about what the DHEA pathway is and, and where it leads to or whatnot. The research is not like super strong, like that it works for everybody. Like if we knew, I mean, we would know right now for sure if DHEA was the go-to libido stimulating nutritional supplement to take for a female, then who somebody would have already patented some kind of version of this and they, you know, they'd, they'd make a billion dollars. Right. But it, it, it becomes one of those things where some women, this changes their life. Other women doesn't really do a whole lot of anything. And then in the third case, sometimes if you get them a little bit more than they need, then they're going to go that androgen pathway and they're going to go, why all of a sudden yeah. am I breaking my skin out at 50 years old or whatnot? Because you're pushing too much. So DHA is one of those things where if you are, if someone's interested and they're going to do this on their own and they're a woman, I wouldn't start with more than five milligrams twice a day. And if you notice anything after a couple of weeks of, I definitely think I feel better Yeah, maybe play around and take it up a little bit. But again, I'm not sold on that. Every woman should take it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody is individual. That's what's important about hormone balancing is that, you know, you have to know what hormones somebody needs. That's why it's important to test. And that's why it's important to go to a practitioner that knows what labs to order and how to interpret yeah. those labs. Absolutely. For sure. Laura, do hormones, do hormones affect insulin? Ever since being on progesterone testosterone, my insulin has gone way up. Well, of course, hormones affect insulin. Um, what can you say about that, Dr. Wrigley? 
I don't think that anybody's going to answer that with just the question, Laura. And I'm sorry because there's, I'm, I'm you know, my, the way my mind works is I'm going, okay, I can think of about 14 different ways that are you taking enough progesterone that's elevating or testosterone that is somehow elevating metabolic rate. Therefore your liver's dumping more glycogen, which is leading to an increase in insulin so I'm not sure I understand how to. I mean, but Sean, you might have a better. No, I, I'm with you. I, I would answer. I would answer the question the same way. Um, I think it's just that that is too broad of question to really answer without yeah. knowing all the details. Now, I will say this about insulin, um, and I know some people don't like hearing this answer, but the the thing that affects insulin the most, Doctor Wrigley, what is the thing that affects insulin the most? And I, I'm not making this a difficult question. It's it's basic. basic. What's the thing that affects insulin the most? It's what we eat, right? Yeah, it's what you eat and leading right. to the resistance of being able to. Right. So it. diet is far and beyond what affects insulin more than anything. Um, so those, all those details have to be worked out before we can really get to the root of right. if progesterone, testosterone caused a problem. And I think it's true to um, what Dr. Wrigley was saying. You know, you can go into the pharmacology of it and you can start thinking about how would that affect um, um, insulin? How would it affect your liver glycogen? Things like that. But ultimately, yeah. what we eat is how is what affects insulin. No doubt. And if you want to mess up your insulin or reverse the problem with insulin, you need to know the common. So here's a better way for Laura to understand if she doesn't already get this. Um, if you wanted to go out and create an insulin problem or become diabetic really quick, eat a bunch of refined carbohydrates in the presence of a bunch of hydrogenated seed oil, and you will have a you will blow your insulin through the roof and you will become all kinds of problematic. So there's complication with the two factors of carbohydrate, simple carbohydrates, raising insulin, just because that's what they do to try to drive glucose into the cell. But when you add something like processed seed oil into the mix, then that blocks, that creates more of the insulin resistance where now the glucose, the, the insulin can't get the glucose into the cell. And now you've got a major problem. So if most people could just get this is that the way out of this mix that's leading people to being obese and diabetic and heart disease and all this kind of stuff is to formulate a diet that, first of all, get rid of processed, refined junk food. Get rid of any type of oily fat in your diet that comes from any other source than something like an avocado or true olive oil, which is now almost like. We have a hard time even telling people that now yeah. because we don't even know if we get real olive oil anymore. Right. It, so, but you want to get rid of any type of fat in your diet that that's not really a primarily a animal fat like butter, lard, ghee, these types of things, with the exception of maybe avocado oil and maybe the exception of something like, um, uh, where was I going with that? Olive oil, you said olive oil. Well, olive oil, if you can get really good olive yeah. oil. But I, no, I was going to coconut oil. If you can get oh, really yeah, yeah, yeah. good, yeah. pure coconut oil, that's another safe bet, too. But the rest of the, you know, stay away from the sunflower, sesame seed, cotton seed. And number one, stay away from anything that starts off the ingredients with soybean oil. 
which you're going to find that is the number one ingredient in just about every bottle that you pick up in your grocery store. But those things are so impactful to disturbing your metabolism, basically really messing up your thyroid function, messing up so many things uh, that are leading to problems with uh, everything from women gaining weight to infertility and all these kinds of problems. So clean up the diet. I think you, me and Sean are, you know, kind of circling back around like we always would to look, there are so many things that can be offered every woman to tailor something to her specific goals. This is what I do on a daily basis, but it starts with this. I need you to eat this way and I need you to time your eating at this way. And I need you to pay attention to things like you need some exercise in your diet, a little combination of, you know, going for some long walks with hopefully a couple times a week, you focus on some strength training kind of things like that. I need you to pay attention that you need sunshine and pure water and you need to stress reduce. Maybe you need to, you know, go to a yoga class or do some meditation or whatever. Then outside of that, if we're dealing with, then we can talk about, well, here's what would be perfect. Yeah, for you would be, you know, a mixture of, let's say, some USP progesterone with a small amount of bioidentical thyroid replacement therapy to get more T3 into the mitochondria. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can be placed to make it individual for you, but you cannot... You can't do, you, you really are not doing yourself a whole lot of good if you're not willing to do the things that will, you know, make all the difference so that those other things work better because they won't do them all, you know, right. by themselves. They won't do them all by themselves. No, they, everything's meant to work together. So yeah. it, it's, you know, hormones. It's a piece of the puzzle, diet's a piece of the puzzle, and exercise. And I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing that we forget about insulin, we, we talk a lot about diet and insulin. And, um, but let's also remember that exercise lowers insulin. Absolutely. And I'm a good example. I use this. I, I, I'm an endurance mountain bike racer. Okay. So I, I ride my bike anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a week. And I will say, depending on what kind of intensity I'm, I'm working out, or, or I'm riding, or depending on how long the ride is, I'll eat, as you can imagine, Dr. Wrigley, I'll eat quite a bit of carbohydrates um, be, because I'm burning them. But my insulin, I've had my insulin levels checked, and they're super low because I don't need the insulin to take the glucose out of the cells because I'm burning the insulin while I'm exercising. So one of the best ways to lower insulin is also exercise. Absolutely. Um, exercise is so important for everything. Absolutely. Um, muscle to maintain lean body mass to, um, you know, maintain bone health. If you use bone, if you lose, if you use uh, bone, bone, weight bearing exercise. Um, sure. And Laura's a rock star. She's lost 130 pounds over the last few years, um, right. you know, doing a keto diet. And so she's, she's getting her, she's got her diet, her, her um, diet dialed in. Um, and I think she just needs some help with some of the details with the other pieces of the puzzle. Did we, Yahada, did we answer all of Laura's questions? Okay. And Dr. Wrigley, we're about out of time here. Yeah. So yeah. let's um, let's wind this podcast up. As we wind this podcast up, I want you to tell us what you have a passion for. 
I have a passion for creating success stories. I mean, it's really what it's gotten down to now is that, you know, I'm, um, yeah, after doing this for 30 years, I'm, you know, I'm realistic in the fact that I don't know that I want to work forever. Um, Don't know that I, you know, have to do that anymore. But I know what I, I know what, what I'm still driven by. And that is, I like to be able to go, this can be YouTube that, you know, especially with something like the internet nowadays where you're seeing, um, you know, somebody who transformed their life, got their hormones in balance, lost, you know, a hundred pounds, or even if it was 30 pounds or whatever, but feels like I sleep better. I have better energy. My skin looks better. People are commenting on that. Wow. What did you do? Um, everybody deserves that. And I love to sit down and build out protocols based on a case that I've taken. And here is the roadmap for you to have that experience of you become your own success story that you can go feel good about shining all over social media and go look at my before and after or whatnot. But that, that, you know, that jazzes me for sure. So would you call sitting on a beach in the Dominican Republic work? (laughs) It's hard. Yeah, I was going to mention something when you first when you first logged in. I thought I'm like, you've got to be be somewhere. And you know, what's interesting about that is that I spend enough time doing, you know, just play. I guess we can call it. But I'm I'm on my computer so much either doing working with clients all over the place or whatnot or doing research or doing writing or doing whatever that I often get approached down here in the Caribbean um with man you just work all the time and i look at yeah i look at them and i go hmm i don't really see it that way (laughs) i'm just i'm i feel like i'm playing like i'm you know i don't feel like this is really work at all it's just Uh, hey man it's been great to get this done you know i know we've been waiting on this for a while yeah we have my wife and i feel the same way um there's an old saying you know if you love what you do you'll never work another day in your life and and i i feel that way about what we do and let's see did we lose you dr wrigley let's go ahead and stream his website if he's if he's out so i'm not sure if we lost dr wrigley seems like we we might have but here is his website uh dr wrigley tell us a little bit about your website and how to get a hold of you yeah, well, okay. On most of social media, you're going to find me Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Twitter's my big because I play with other doctors that are into this space of metabolic health and hormones and stuff like that. But most of social media, you're going to find me at Hormone Diet Doc. That's my tagline on on most of it. Facebook's a little bit different. We have a we have a myth busting menopause group where I specifically work with women who are going through that change and how to deal with that. Um, but for the most part, hormone diet doc, you're going to find me around. And then our website is simply D R J A Y Wrigley, my last name, which is like the gum. So drjwrigley.com, you'll see all of what me and Heidi do. And, um, which is, you know, really work with hormonal and metabolic health and, uh, come visit us, see what we've got going on. Love to hear from you and all that. Yes, I, I I so appreciate you. Uh, we could talk. You know, know we're on correct. the we're on the same space. That's for sure. We could talk for hours about this. We'll have to have you back on on, on another subject. Um, and I really appreciate it. our goal is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And you've definitely helped us realize that goal. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. I love it. Um, yeah, I hope we do get together again soon. So, all right, take care for now.
All right. Thank you. And listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Wednesday. We have a special episode. Uh, it's kind of a makeup episode from last week when when Sean, Casey, and I could not um, – our times conflicted. So stay tuned because we're going to have him talk about ADHD, and we're going to have him talk about how you don't need drugs to treat ADHD. You do want, you do not want to miss out on that. So Wednesday, uh, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in.